Hey, this is Joe Namath, and uh, they say it ain't easy being green. Are you ready? The New York Jets can beat anybody in the world, and I think we're going to win next Sunday. The New York Jets. I think Jeff fans. Jeff fans. Jeff fans. Very passionate. Bird, Bird. Thank you, all you fans. They got their guy. Darnold falling to the Jets. Sam Darnold. Sam Darnold. That's such an upside. I think Jeff fans. Very passionate. Brady sucks. Don't be sucks. I'm an Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest edition of the Ain't Easy Being Green podcast, broadcasting to you live from beautiful, amazing, picturesque Crystal Lake Studios in Putnam Valley, New York. It's on the Elite Sports Radio Network, my name is Keith Farrell. I am joined, as always, by my colleague and co-host, the number one Jet fan in the state of Texas, Michael Lagaris. Yeah, buddy. And the man behind the glass, I want to leave him out. The man, the myth, the legend, the majestic beast, the big stinking Wookiee, <laughs> Nicholas Kronk, everyone. Ladies and gents, podcast listeners, I hope you're having a great evening. We're going to get into a lot of great stuff tonight. Thanks for being here. Now, we're coming in with enthusiasm to start off with Mike, but it's fake. I am dead inside. <laughs> it's fake, Mike. <laughs> I think the listeners knew right away when they hit play, like, why do these guys sound so happy? They're not. No Jet fans are. Mike isn't. Everybody knows how Mike feels about the Pats. Now, it's it's not it's not just make-believe for the show. No. It's it's actually, Mike. Mike's a spiritual, really good person. Probably one of the best people I know in the whole world. The only I thing know. I know, probably the nicest guy I've ever met. Nicest person I know. But he he hates oh my the Patriots God. on a biblical level. And this game, uh, we're not gonna Jet fans. We're not gonna go break this garbage game down. It was maybe one of the worst Super Bowls of all time. We'll talk about it a little bit. But before we do that, Mike, I just want to know: Are you okay? Yeah, I told you. I just they're relevant to me now, you know. And I just I didn't even really watch. To be honest, you the second half. I watched a little bit of the first half, and I just saw all these punts, and I'm just like, you know what, man? I'm gonna go get ready for work, and I just went upstairs, and then I came down. I got a couple of texts, and I knew it was over because I had friends of mine texting me about how Tom Brady is the greatest quarterback of all time, how Bill Belichick is the greatest of all time. I just find it funny. I'm like, why are you got like these? These are like Yankee fans. And like Miami Dolphin fans who have nothing to do with the Patriots. I'm like, why are you texting? Are, are you trying to get some joy out of my misery about it? <laughs> is that what is that what you're trying to? Are you trying to get me to come out with something? And then when I said, no, they're not the greatest. They're cheaters and liars. And it doesn't matter how much they win. That doesn't erase what they did. Then one of them sent me a text saying, with your teamcheats.com about how the Jets cheat and everything. So I didn't have time that day, but I went and looked up your team cheats and it was actually done by a bunch of Patriot fans. And it's a very biased uh, website that was created during the Deflategate scandal to try to say, oh yeah, all these teams cheat, so it's okay. And it was completely debunked. And I sent all of those documents to my friend. I said, hey, listen, next time you debate me, don't send me some fake news garbage trash to try to control your narrative. The fact the fact of the matter is Tom Brady is a cheater and a liar. And I don't care how many damn Super Bowls he wins. 
He's got an asterisk next to his name, just like you heard Yusef Burgess talk on our last show. You want to call him the greatest, all these different people call him the greatest of all time? Go right ahead. If that's your standard, if your standard is calling the best ever as someone who was suspended because of cheating, then that's your standard. It's not my standard. So, hey, do what you got to do, you know? It was one of the most, to me, one of the most boring Super Bowls of all time that I could ever remember watching. I don't, I don't remember, I mean, uh, truth be told, I don't remember much in the second half. Yeah, because yeah. Because we had a great time at Yeah, we had a big time party at Crystal Lake. Uh, we had a really good time. Watch your hands, your lips. It's so good. But from the first half, I'm, I, I just remember looking at him like, wait a minute, is this really 3-3 right now? Yeah. All the All the hype, all the hoopla, Brady, the Rams... Where where was Todd? Is Todd Gurley okay? Oh my! Can God. we give Todd Gurley? I mean, do we need to get him like another headline? Coming hotline? Out of the, yeah, another headline coming out of the game is what happened to Gurley. He had ten carries in the game, thirty-five yards. I'm not that you know. I don't know. It just it just it was a strange game, and it seemed like like the Patriots had all the answers on defense. I totally get yes. it. Goff, nineteen for thirty-eight. Absolute garbage central. Oh, Balls in guys' ankles. Um, Cedric Anderson, a.k.a. C.J. Anderson. Seven carries for 22. Gurley, 10 for 35. Cooks had a good day. Woods had some good catches. But on the pad side, man, Brady, 262. No touchdowns, one in. Didn't really play that great either. But Sonny Michelle was able to run the rock, Mike. They really had no answer for him all day. They had no answer for Burkett when he came in. They couldn't stop the run at all last week on this podcast right here. I picked the Rams with my heart, but what I said was that if they're not going to be able to stop the Patriots run game, I didn't think it'd be this degree. I didn't think they'd only score three points. Yeah. But if I thought if they wouldn't be able to stop the run, it'd be a long day. Tough. In a different, completely different type of way. It was a long day. They weren't able to stop the run. It was a completely, you know, totally boring game. Another player, another player who was suspended for cheating from the <laughs> Patriots, not don't have to make it up or look into fantasy um, conspiracies that actually happened this season it was... Did. Julian Edelman comes back, wins Super Bowl MVP, everyone act like he's oh, the greatest player of all time. Oh, yeah, about- oh, yeah. Can I say something about that real quick? Just real quick. You know, I just want real quick point. Barry Bonds literally hit 762 home runs, and Major League Baseball writers, sorry, we believe you did steroids. You can't be in the Hall of Fame. Julian Edelman, test positive for PEDs this season. NFL writers about halfway into the Super Bowl. Is Julian Edelman a Hall of Famer? What oh, my man? God. You can't Please make this stop. stuff up. You can't, you just can't, it's, I'm sitting there like, are you kidding me? Dwayne Bow has better <laughs> career numbers than Julian Edelman. Are we talking about Dwayne Bow going into the Hall of Fame? <laughs> Guys, in the game, Aaron Donald had four tackles, most of them were assisted, one solo. Dominican Sue, one assisted tackle, one solo tackle. Neither of them did anything no. in this game. I thought it was going to come down to those two guys making a huge difference because they if they were able to stop that run, yep. push guys around up front, get up the middle and get some pressure on Brady. We all know how, just like most quarterbacks, but Brady's just like everyone else. He's susceptible to pressure up the middle because then you have to move out to the right or move out to the left and he's right. like a statue. Nothing. Nothing. Absolutely nothing, guys. Shout out to the New England guard center guard combo. I don't know your names because I don't like you guys. Those three guys are so good. It's such a pleasure for Tom Brady. Gets a lot of accolades from Sonny Michelle. Again, 18 carries, 94 yards, touchdown. He was the difference maker. And like we talked about last week in the and on our podcast, you know, we mentioned that the Patriot running game was going to be is was going to dictate this game, and I absolutely say Bill Belichick has asterisks next to his good name, but I'm not going to lie and tell you that I didn't see good coaching with Bill Belichick. His strategy 
on how to control the game uh, was great. It, you know, I really there's really nothing to say about how he actually ran his offense and had his defense. Pat Jarrett Goff just running for the for for the uh, for the end zone. You know, it was really well coached game as far as Belichick goes. But uh, Michelle dictated the tone, especially at the end. And Tom Brady really didn't have a good game. He was 21 for 35, 262 yards, no touchdowns, and an interception at 25.8 QBR. Actually, if you look at Tom Brady's last few games, he really hasn't been that great, to be honest. Guess what? They won the game. They got they their sixth the Super Bowl. Six so Super Bowl. The evil empire continues to win. It's as if when they made the Star Wars movies, Darth Vader never died. He always stayed with Darth Sidious. And they, they, just, they just won at the end of all of them. Yep. That's what it feels like at this point. And you know, hey guys, Brady says he wants to keep playing. 42-year-old Brady? Well, hey, hey, he said he wants God to keep playing. Him. He just won a Super Bowl. There's no reason yeah. not to. Well, They've been in the last three Super Bowls, so uh, as far as Tom Brady goes, I don't think he's going anywhere. Belichick will be there as long as Brady's there. I think Belichick will sign off when Brady's gone. Then he never has to have another quarterback without to answer the questions of really coaching without him. I know that one year they went 11-5 and five with Castle. Yep. That year also, the AFC East was absolute, just like it's been the last 15 years for the most part, complete dumpster fire garden. Yep. So it's not like they, they had a lot to overcome in the division. Well, I'll tell you this, Keith. When we're about to get into the NFL honors recipients and some of these kids here, I like to know the fact that Tom Brady does have an asterisk next to his name because when these kids win a couple... They'll be taking that mantle as the quote-unquote goat pretty quickly. The situation uh, kind of got heavy on. So these awards are announced the night before the Super Bowl, which I really like a lot. Yep. NFL MVP, AP NFL MVP, Michael Patrick Mahomes. Yes, I, I mean I, I wanted them to give it to Breeze, but I couldn't justify it just looking at Mahomes' numbers and just his play on the field. I mean, he not only puts up the production and he not only wins games, but he also does it in style. He's blockbuster. I mean, there's plays there that just wow you. You you see, it's like those Michael Vick, uh, those Randy Moss, that Mike Tyson, that Michael Jordan feel that when you see them, it's breathtaking. And when you see Patrick Mahomes step back and throw a no-look pass for seven yards, and that guy breaks it for another 20, you're like, what? Dude, I'm just... <laughs> and it's incredible. It's an incredible yeah, he's special, kid. Man. He's he really a is. special kid. So good for him. And then AP Offensive Player of the Year, he was that as well. And Aaron Donald, Aaron Donald was Defensive AP Player of the Year. What did you think of that? No, I mean, I don't think you can really argue with the amount of sacks he got from the defensive yep. tackle position. I mean, the Super Bowl game... He was absolutely nowhere to be found along with Ndamukong Sue. Uh, but this is about the regular season, this award. In the regular season, I don't think there was a better defensive player in the NFL than Aaron Donald. I mean, he was all over the field, making an impact every single game, either getting a, either getting a sack, getting two sacks, getting pressure on the quarterback. Uh, I don't think you really argue with that. I know AP Offensive Rookie of the Year hmm. came down to Baker Mayfield, Saquon Barkley. Saquon Barkley takes it. I don't think you can really argue yeah, with that. Yeah, yeah. That's your no. boy. As a giant fan, Wookie, someone that still thinks they should have taken Sam Darnold over Saquon Barkley, it is nice to at least see that you can't really do much better than he did. I would have rather taken a quarterback in that draft, but we took you. I accepted it. You're a phenomenal talent. You deserve that award of Rookie of the Year. God bless you on a great season. I hope uh, you hope you're nothing but the best with the rest of your career. <laughs> okay, what a formal, 
What a formal approach to hey, uh, an analysis. Very nice of you. Would have rather had a quarterback, but again, we got him. Now, Mike, who won? He's here. Mike, who won AP Defensive Rookie of the Year? Darius Leonard from the Colts. Yeah, that's kind of a no-brainer, I yes, guess. The no, kid was, uh, yeah, he was absolutely lights out. He actually he's a challenge. He actually challenged Donald for the, oh, the defensive player of the year yeah, outright. Yeah. Like that's how good he was. And then obviously comeback player of the year, Andrew Luck. What a what a tremendous <laughs> year from Andrew Luck. He was only second to Patrick Mahomes in touchdowns with thirty nine touchdowns this year. Got all the way to the second round of the playoffs. I think and when Tom Brady leaves, Andrew Luck will be the best quarterback in the AFC along with Patrick Mahomes for years to come and with Deshaun Watson and hopefully our boy Sam Darnold uh, challenging them. Oh, I'm happy you said that because I was, if you didn't say that, I was going to sneak that in right at the end. <laughs> I was going to walk out. <laughs> and, yeah. and, walk and, out. And you know what? The Bridgestone Clutch Performance Play of the Year was the Miami Miracle and guess what Tom Brady just said? Two days ago on a radio show, he said he doesn't count that Miami win. They only had one, or that Miami loss. They only have one loss since their bye. I was like, oh, that's nice. Well, a loss is a loss. He can live in whatever fantasy world he wants. Or say, for instance, you won a Super Bowl and it was on a play like that. (laughs) Would you not count that Super Bowl as a win? Would you say, we didn't really win that one? We're not counting it. And when it comes to Andrew Luck, you know what? I think a lot of people, Mike, just to get back to him real quick, comeback player of the year, I I really like Andrew Luck as a person. Great, Great quarterback. The Jets actually do pretty good against him, and we, we beat them this year yeah. too. Yeah, but Andrew Luck, great season, should have won Comeback Player of the Year. A lot of people gave up on Luck, and I think a lot of people didn't think for whatever reason because he had a string of injuries last year and ended up really not. Well, last year he didn't play. The year before that, he played in twelve or thirteen games. Yep. I don't know if anyone thought he'd get back to this level. I don't know why people doubted him because, like I said to many of my friends, and one of our friends, we'll, we'll put his name out there on blast, Jay Tomasulo, in our fantasy football league, traded him away like he was a piece of garbage. Oh, traded him, gone, just dumped him for nothing. I think Luck came back and got back to the level he was playing at a couple years ago. And what I said to people is, you know, it's very rare that a quarterback at super elite quarterback gets any injury. Yeah. That all of a sudden sets them back and they're not good anymore. <laughs> yeah. And what I, what I said to people, I'm like, well, when does it ever happen? So a lot of times people go, oh, well, what it could happen. And I get it. But what you have to do when you think about these things right. is say, what's the previous history yeah. of this position with catastrophic injuries to quarterbacks or right. injuries to arms and this and that? Um, we know Chad Pennington injuries, so we know how it could set back a quarterback. But I'm talking about the elite level quarterbacks. Right. None of them have really. All right, Joe Theismann wasn't at Andrew Luck's level. Well, horrific injury. But you, none of them have ever had yeah. an injury, a knee. Aaron Rodgers broke his collarbone. There's different injuries guys have. None of them ever have some injury and then just become scrubs. Right. No. Except for except for except for, except for Todd Gurley. So whenever no, that's all right. Well, you don't have a monster quarterback who knows how to take care of it mentally on the field. He's a leader. And he's young and he's ready to go. All of a sudden, he has a bad injury. He misses time. He comes back and all of a sudden, he doesn't know how to play quarterback anymore. That's why I didn't know why so many people had no faith in him. No sense. Yeah. Well, talking about greatness, not only did we have our award winners, but we had 2019 Hall of Fame class. 2019 Hall of Fame inductees. Mike, we have a nice little class of inductees, including one player... That I'm assuming Michael will go win as a New York Jet, but we do not know that yet. A couple of these guys kind of instrumental to uh, the NFL in different ways. I know the first one, Champ Bailey made it. Absolutely. Champ 
Bailey. Broncos leading interceptor for five seasons. The mass 52 career interceptions returned 464 yards and four touchdowns. He was one of the best cornerbacks I remember ever. And he had played, you know, for the Washington Redskins and the Denver Broncos. I'm very happy to see him. Former Georgia Bulldog. Very happy to see him make it in. Also, the owner of the Denver Broncos, Pat Bolin, ended up making it, and he's been an instrumental part of the NFL and the Broncos franchise, along with uh, Mr. Gil Brandt, who was part of the Dallas Cowboys personnel department. Uh, he was there with Tom Landry all throughout that time, uh, someone who's very prominent with the NFL and helped the brand grow, and then... Wookie, I know you're a Division One tight end from Marist. Well, the greatest. Yeah, this is when it starts getting good. Those yeah. guys are all tremendous. Yeah, but the greatest tight end of all time. Talk about all time greatness. See, Patriot fans, when I talk about all time greatness, I talk about people who deserve to be called the all time greatest, right? And that's Tony Gonzalez, 17 seasons, 270 yards, a first round pick by the Chiefs. He recorded over 50 receptions in a season in each of the last 16 years. Incredible. That's insane. It's at 14 seasons with 70 or more catches, led the NFL in receiving with a career-best 102 receptions in 2004, led the Chiefs in receiving eight times, and then was traded to Atlanta in 2009. This guy is the greatest tight end to ever play in the history of the sport, 6'5". 250 pounds Tony Gonzalez well done sir yeah he was to me he's the best tight end of all time yeah uh, Tony Gonzalez and it's like it's bar none bar. I remember when he went to Cal when he played on the basketball team he was nasty yeah. you guys remember um, came to the NFL tore it up Mike he made 14 Pro Bowls <laughs> he made the all pro team seven times dude he was a uh, Gonzalez absolute, absolute monster. monster and yes. Probably the best tight end of all time, has a billion records. Only Jerry Rice has more receptions, I think. I know, yes. Than Tony Gonzalez, oh, which is God, that's yeah. the only guy ahead of you. Yep. Jerry Rice is Jerry Rice. And he's, and he's a wide receiver. He's a wide receiver. He played for twenty thousand years. Yeah, so that's a you know, that's that's a whole different ball of wax, man, when you're you know, when you're talking about a wide receiver up against a tight end, what he was able to do with a tight end position. The NFL's changing to a degree. Yeah. But you gotta look at say look at look at a guy like Kelsey. He started his career late. Yep. He's not gonna play another 10, 11 years he's almost 30 now so his numbers and what he was able to do through his entire career from year one to the very last season unparalleled when it comes to his position coming up next mike i know ty law hall of famer from michigan now ty law was somebody that played in the pats and had one of the biggest interceptions for the pats in the super bowl versus the rams tremendous player mike why don't you give us some of his qualifications for the hall of fame Oh, he was the team's leading interceptor six times. He registered 53 career interceptions for 828 yards and seven pick sixes. Career-long 74-yard interception return for a touchdown against New England. Uh, is this for against New England? Oh, yeah, against New England, December 26, 2005. He recorded a 37-yard interception return in his final game of his career. He really was an incredible player. He was a Patriot, unfortunately, but he was a Jet as well. Yeah, I was going to say, he was a Jet briefly. And yeah, and he played on the Kansas City Chiefs and the Denver Broncos. So he's definitely someone well-deserving to get into the hall. So it's another guy, Mike. Tough call. Does he go in as a Jet or a Patriot? Oh, he's going in as a Patriot. (laughs) No, just kidding. (laughs) How many years did he play? I'm just playing. Mike, do you know how many years he played offhand? He played 15 seasons. 15 seasons, and he had 56 interceptions? He had 53 career interceptions. 50, oh, that's... 
God bless you. Yeah, well, you forget about him, man. If you had 53 picks and you played in 203 games, you're a monster. <laughs> That's unbelievable. I mean, you're getting to pick every four games. It's That's sick. Not a normal, it's sick. That's not it's a normal sick. person. And I gotta. And the next guy is somebody who I was really excited to talk about because I wanted to ask you guys: Is this the greatest safety of all time? Is Ed Reed? Ed Reed, who played 12 seasons, 174 games, selected by the Ravens in the first round, made an instant impact on that Baltimore defense with five interceptions as a rookie, okay, was part of the leading interceptor in 2004, 2008, 2010, to become just the second player in NFL history to lead the NFL in interceptions three times. This man is a Super Bowl champion. He's an All-Pro six times, voted to the Pro Bowl nine times. He's a member of the NFL's All-Decade team of the 2000s. He was born September 11th of all days. Is this man the greatest safety to ever play the game? And he played actually, another guy who played a season with the Jets, by the way. I, I have to say Ed Reed is He's up there. one of the best safeties, Mike. Now, when you look at the safety position, he wasn't necessarily a safety that was effective because... And he was a good tackler, don't get me wrong. But... You know, there's like a Troy Palomalu. Ronnie Lott. Now, Ronnie Lott. There, there's different there's types different of safeties. Types. You're right. you're, now, you're when right. it comes to an Ed Reed, when it comes to a ball-hawking safety, unparalleled. I mean, he has the two longest interception returns in the history of the NFL, 107 yards. Did it twice. Yeah. Did it twice! He was yeah. filthy. That Ravens defense in the early 2000s, like late, ni- late 1999, like early 2000s, they were unbelievable. And guys, guys, saw it. guys, in 2004, he was the defensive player of the year as a safety. Oh, he had nine. He had nine interceptions in one season. Um, returned them for about 358 yards total. 64 interceptions in his career, 1,590 yards. Yes, in returns. That, that's that's unreal. That's if nice. someone had 64 catches for that many yards, oh, they'd be God. the greatest receiver in the history of mankind. God is one of the best safeties of all time. If he's the best ever, I know when it comes to like defending yeah. wide receivers and tight ends, he's up there. When it comes to tackling and such, there might be other safeties that are better than him. Like we said, Ronnie Lott, Palomalu's up there. Different guys. Edward's definitely one of the best of all time. Yeah, and the other safety that went in was Johnny Robinson. He played back in the day in 1960-1971 for the Dallas Texans, Kansas City Chiefs, drafted in 1960 by the AFL Draft Texans, third overall, and uh, he helped his team to four division titles, played in three AFL championship games. Oh, you know, old man, old man, uh, part of the history of the game, you know, he was all pro, voted in, uh, what is he, led the all... In 1969, All-NFL, 1970, voted to the AFL All-Star Game six times. So uh, he was somebody, one of our guys that we look up to. I'm really happy he finally actually made it in. And our last inductee, and our not our least, is Kevin Mawai. Yes, mm-hmm. Kevin Y, one of Bill Parcells' first guys that wanted to get Mike that he grabbed up eight seasons as a New York Jet. I mean, and when he was in the, when he was on the team, not just uh, just because of how good a player he was on the field, but he was tremendous and beloved by the fans and beloved by his teammates because of the type of leader he was and off the field. Yeah. Uh, he really was somebody that was you know a pretty remarkable career, one of the best centers of all time, was a complete monster. Yeah, we we talk about that 1998 team that team that beloved team with uh Vinny Testaverde and Curtis Martin Curtis Martin he anchored Kevin White anchored the steady jet offensive line that led the way for 44 100 yard games and seven 1000 yard seasons by Hall of Fame running back Curtis Martin 
He blocked for a thousand yard rusher in 13 of his 16 seasons and five different running backs during his career. Chris Warren, Martin, Travis Henry, Lendell White, and Chris Johnson. He actually led the offensive line for the Titans when Chris Johnson ran for 2,000 yards. That's right. Very, you know, very so I, I so, totally forgot about that. Yeah, he's, uh, I mean, he's up there. Eight Pro Bowls. Um, including his final two seasons in the he's league, which you don't see a lot. A, a guy, his final two years in the league, he made the Pro Bowls, which is pretty sweet. And he, he had also the, the streak. I mean, he just played. Like, he just never missed a game, this dude. All these different all these different playing streaks where he just never missed a game until 2005. Um, we heard his tricep. He didn't miss one game. So, but why was a tremendous jet. That offensive line we had back in 98 for Vinny. Um, then moving forward oh, after right. that with Chad Pennington blocking for Curtis. You always just knew when you had Mawai up there that you had a strength. You know, those D tackles, yeah. you never really saw anyone really get that much pressure up the middle because you had a monster. And then you had him just kind of hand the reins off to Nick Mangold. Oh, wow. So, like Mike yeah. said in the past, we really have been spoiled that We've position. Been spoiled. Us Jet fans have been spoiled for over decades with this guy, Kevin Mawai, who's just been such a tremendous anchor and such a input to why we had our success. And then you had, you know, uh, Nick Mangold come in with all those years, and now we're dealing with what the Jets just did now this week, cutting Spencer Long, our, you know, center that was supposed to be in there for Sam Darnold. Wasn't that, isn't that crazy, huh? That position's come full circle. That position's come full circle. uh, Spencer Long is, as we noted, I'm sure a great guy. I'm sure his friends dig him. I'm sure his wife, you know, enjoys his company. Sure. Not a great player. Apparently so, not. I don't want you to be on the Jets anymore. You you completely blew an entire game. I think he, he ruined Sam for like a few games. Every I, I, I think so, too. Game, right? I think so, too. Week you 9 snapped. against the Dolphins. All when those high snaps. When you're a rookie quarterback and you're playing in the NFL, yep. you have so much you're thinking about. The last thing you're thinking about is where the snap. Is the snap. Yeah. You know, and when, they're, when they keep having you, the Jets kept getting themselves, they'd run the ball on first down to get one yard. So, it's second right. or nine. So they have Sam in the shotgun position. He hikes the ball, goes over his head. Happens once or twice, three times. Sam's doing his best, but now he's all of a sudden, now he's like a snap. Now yeah. he's not looking at the guys on the field. Now he's not looking at matchups, the Mike yeah. linebacker, all these different things. He's, you know, he's worried about if he's going to have the ball or Is not. Is the ball going to get to my head? And okay. separate from yeah. that, when they put Harrison in, he didn't play that bad. Right. You, no, you, you he can't did. say there was some drop-off from the level Spencer Long was at when they put Harrison in. So when it goes, when we go, now we segue. All right, we'll take that negativity of Spencer Long, Mike. Let's just bury it. It's gone. Let's really look to the future. Next year, what do you think they're going to do? What's the, what's when it comes to the game? When it comes to game green, is is Harrison Harrison an option? You think Gay's going to give him a shot? Is there any good centers out there at free agency, Mike? What do you think the story is? Probably going to go grab uh, a center in free agency. I was hoping it's going to be Matt Paradise later on in the show when we we start talking a little bit about Le'Veon Bell. I'll get into some of the numbers, but I'm thinking they'll probably go. Uh, Matt Paradise, the center, the 30-year-old center from the Denver Broncos. Uh, he may be a really good option. We're not sure if the Denver Broncos are going to let him go. We heard there's some locker room problems with Matt Paradise. He has little man syndrome, but he is. <laughs> that's what I, that's what the that's what I'm seeing on Twitter. But little man you know, syndrome. He is. He was drafted very late. He was 25 years old when he got drafted. He's 30 now. Um, he was ranked one of the top centers by Pro Football Focus. So I think he was actually ranked number two in the NFL, according to Pro Football Focus. So we're not really sure, but hope he'll, they'll either go to him 
or they'll go to the center from the Kansas City Chiefs 27 year old that they may let go they're not going to really have the money to sign him so there's some there's a few options there that they may get to in regarding our center position but one thing I know for sure is they saved three million dollar roster bonus by cutting Spencer along and um, it was something that had to get done. There was a narrative that we should keep him, put him at left guard because he was doing well there. But he wasn't that he wasn't doing well. He just wasn't throwing snaps everywhere and he was out of the news. Yeah, exactly. That, that's what happened. It wasn't that he was 26th in, against the pass blocking and 26th in run blocking. So so everybody knows out there, some guards and some centers, some tap are really good at pass blocking. But they're terrible at run blocking. And some are really good at run blocking, but they're terrible at pass blocking. This guy was terrible at both. That's rare to have it that bad. He, he, the, it, the, I think the, 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 the decision to move on for him was the correct decision. We saved 60 more million and we're up to about 100 and we were at 94. We're at about 100 million now in cap space. Yeah. I mean, they have some decisions to make too in the future with some other guys on the offensive line as well, Mike. Well, not that they have to make the decisions, but Beecham and Brian Winters, these are guys that, could in theory both be cut they weren't great this year and you know Mike how much money I think it would clear up with Beach and they'd save um, a decent chunk of money right there if they cut him yeah so uh, if they cut Winters that will be 6 million he's exa- he's owed exactly as much as um, Spencer Long was and if they cut Beecham it would be 9.5 gets oh wow so right, that's, a, that's actually that's a good chunk. I mean, they, the Jets already have space, but if there's any way with a trade or you know, say they beef up and they put some big time money in whoever the best offensive lineman, even maybe the guys you mentioned already, if that's the direction they're going to go and they're going to spend the money on, I don't mind them cutting anybody we had in the line last yeah, year. There's, there's nobody that Beecham, needs to stay to me. Beecham is owed eight million, but he also has a roster bonus of a million and a half. So if they were to cut him right now, they'd save nine and a half. I, I don't know when the bonus kicks in, but. Uh, if they cut him later, it'll be eight million. So he's, you know, you would save, man. You know, you're, you're going at fourteen million, going up. But they already have over a hundred million, and I'm going to get into the financials later. They have a good amount of money. The guy with the biggest cap impact actually is going to be Leonard Williams. They. All right, let's get into it right now, Mike. I know you hit the books. You did. You crunched the numbers. You had the interns working overtime. So Leonard Williams. It looks like the Jets said that they're deciding to go with Leonard Williams for another year. Uh, he's going to count against the cap. Fourteen million against the cap. Um, he was the sixth overall pick in 2015. But the thought is that they feel they want to see him in this 4-3 alignment. And they feel if anybody's going to get the best out of Leonard, it will be Greg Williams. So the idea of trading him right now is not something that the Jets are entertaining. But there is a thought out there that by them sending this signal is a subtle way for the Jets to let teams know, hey, yeah, we're, we're... looking to keep Leonard around for another year, but if you've got an offer, come let us know on the low. That's something that I heard, but we'll see if that actually comes to fruition. But according to Against the Cap, yeah, he's the big he's the biggest hit against the cap next year. 14 million, 14.2 to be exact. Tremaine Johnson next with 12 million. And then Kelvin Beachum with nine and a half million. That is such a big cap number what? for Leonard Williams. And they're putting a lot of faith in Greg Williams. And they're putting a lot of faith in this new scheme in the 4-3. I know, you know, Manish Mehta seems to think that 
it's a good idea because he's one of the only like I, like he wrote it's one of the only above average starters they actually have but is that really a good reason to give someone 14 million dollars I guess because they don't have to go replace him he's someone that's serviceable but I mean 17 sacks in four years is not but in any way encouraging but here, I don't care if he's a 3-4 defensive end or not no. but, but here's the thing guys here, guys here's the thing you go look at the cap we really aren't allocating a lot of money to anyone big. The biggest one is Tremaine Johnson at 12, and then Leonard Williams. Where else is the money going? The money's going to Avery Williamson at 8, and Sam Darnold at 6, and everybody else is under that. Isaiah Coel could get cut, and then you got Pinnell at 3, and Quincy Anunu at 2, 2,000,000, Right now, you don't have the money allocated to really anybody you know, except those two guys. So you look at a Leonard Williams and say, all right, maybe he's, maybe he'll thrive coming up. We're going to have over a hundred million dollars. Now, to me, if I'm Mike McCagnan, I need to know where am I going to spend this money where I get the most bang for my buck with $100 million. I have right now, we the top free agents that are out there. You know, let's just say we need a center, right? Okay, yeah, Matt Paradise. D Ford, we need a linebacker, outside linebacker. Let's look at D Ford. Wide receiver, Humphreys. A cornerback, Ronald Darby. Why not? Let's get a cornerback. We're losing uh, uh, Mo Claiborne. Uh, Grady Jarrett, defensive tackle. Or Trey Flowers, defensive end. Let's add him in too. Trent Brown, another uh, uh, guard. All those guys, if you were to compare them to the top earners in their positions, guard, 13 million, defensive end, 17 million, defensive tackle, 17 million, Fletcher Cox is making that, Ronald Darby, cornerback, uh, 15 million, Josh Norman, uh, Humphreys in the, would make about 10 million in the slot, Jamie Collins at linebacker, making about 12.5 million, and Matt Paradise making about 10 million. All of that together, is $94 million. That's, that's less than the money that we have out, that we have available. We could sign all of those players and still have room to play with, right? So tell the, to, at, what I don't understand is this narrative out there that says, well, why would we pay Le'Veon Bell $18 million when we can allocate our funds to other positions of need? Well, I just told you that we have enough money to really cover all these different positions out there and still have some room to go. So if I were to just take out Trey Flowers, just Trey Flowers, I could sign Bell to $17 million right there. And we got all these players, including Le'Veon Bell. And why Le'Veon Bell makes sense is that he adds value to the most important asset that we have on the team, which is Sam Darnold. If you look at a history of young quarterbacks, Dak Prescott has Ezekiel Elliott. Jared Goff had Todd Gurley before he got became a buck. You know, Peyton Manning had Marshall Falk. Eli Manning, Nick, Eli Manning had Tiki Barber, did he not? Did he not? You know, and you got and you got these young, these, these, these 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 running backs that are good receiving. I'm not just talking about just good rushing, good receiving running backs. That that's a quarterback's best friend. So they're saying, oh well, the money we don't need to spend it all on a running back. We can, you know what? Right now, Sam Darnold is cheap. Structure Bell's contract so that we're paying him early, and then when the money comes off, we'll then have time to get Sam paid. But during that time, we don't have any elite A-plus players on offense. Le'Veon Bell makes perfect 
sense for this team, and it's not like we don't have money to spend elsewhere. I just went over. We don't have a single elite player on offense. Robbie Anderson's not bad. Right. Quincy Anuma's not bad. Corral, he's not bad. Sam Darno, we hope, is going to be elite. He's ascending, but good at the end of the year. We'll see. The jury's out on Sam still. Yep. Uh, the numbers, you, you when you talk about Paradise, Ford, Humphreys, all these guys you mentioned, you're assuming that those contracts are at... Are at, at the highest... Okay, at the highest level, which at they the most highest. likely won't be. If, right. if, in theory, depending on how the market plays out, none of those guys, you know, maybe two or three of those guys will get the highest. And then maybe you average out the rest and you even have more money than you're even thinking. You, you were just thinking in the most, the most, the highest possible level. That's um, right. And more than likely, they'll have even more money to dish out. And when you look at a team that's bereft of talent on offense, and you see a guy out there like Le'Veon Bell. You know, I know Le'Veon Bell got busted one time for smoking pot. Besides that, he was known as a good teammate. Right. And separate from contract issues, he wasn't someone like Antonio Brown that's going to be me first to have any issues with his teammates. Yeah. Um, he was always there getting the job done, receiving 80-something catches a year, run the ball 200-something times a year. I mean, he was like a receiver and a running back on the same team, yeah. basically. Yep. And if you can add somebody like that to the Jets, then you also count into this equation. They could sign a wide receiver or two. There's going to be the NFL draft where they have the number three pick in the draft. Right. The Jets are going to have other players in play in addition to the free agent guys they sign that no matter how many of them they, they tack on, these other free agents, Mike, and they do have a lot of holes to fill, there will be the draft that will take some money up also, especially the number three pick who's going to get a nice little chunk. No matter what, they'll have money to sign if they want to. Right. They'll have money to sign Le'Veon Bell. And if you take his contract and you give him a number on paper that is something that he agrees to in the 18 to $20 million range, and then you also base his incentives after that on him playing the whole season, making the pro, whatever the case may be. But as long as you base the incentives on him actually being out there on the field, it, it could then escalate to a contract that makes him the highest paid player in the league. Right. It doesn't even bother me. Right. Because if it's based off him actually being out there on the field and playing with the Jets 16 games, I don't mind that. that that's what you want to see. It's when, no. when guys can guarantee money and get hurt or something like that that affects you. If you, I'm not saying you, you, you're not going to be able to give Le'Veon Bell an incentive laden contract. He's going to want guaranteed money. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is, you give him enough guarantee money that makes him happy. You give him enough money on a per year basis that makes him happy and feels like he's where he should be. And then you base a lot of it around incentives that could potentially put him up above yep. everyone else. So it fits his ego. It fits the Jets. Absolutely. And also, he only gets that money if he actually plays. Yep, what and, you, you, and you avoid what Pittsburgh just went through. By yep. doing that, that's one of the smartest things ever because you're right. You're, you're, you're giving him everything that he wants up front, but you're also backloading the contract with... Look, if you're not going to perform for us, I'm sorry, it's not going to work out. I'm, I'm, you know, yeah, Mike. And there's so many going back, even going back in the day, Mike, when you talked about the, the running, the the really good quarterbacks having a really good running back. You can even go back to when we were growing up. Joe Montana had Roger Craig. Jim mm-hmm. Kelly had um, Thurman Thomas. Yep. Troy Aikman had Emmitt, one of the greatest running backs of all time, Emmitt Smith. Emmitt Smith. Yep. So I mean, yep. you go through all these great teams throughout time, and these really good quarterbacks. They did have a running back that was so talented it took a lot of the load off their shoulders. Really was able to catch passes, especially out of the backfield, Mike, when you talk about the pass-catching running backs. That's something that really is hard to game plan for if you're the other team. I I was listening to uh, a podcast around fantasy football, and they said that for the first 13 weeks, I think it was the first, no, not 13, the first seven weeks of the NFL season, Jared Goff was the number two fantasy quarterback in the NFL behind Patrick Mahomes. Number two in the league. And then Todd Gurley got hurt, and he fell to like, like really bad, like below Flacco. 
first. Yeah, but you know what's funny is that, and you're right, that happened, but C.J. Anderson played ridiculous in all of those games, especially he, the end of the season or the regular he, season. He did. He's not a pass-catching. But he's he not exact, a pass-catching. There you go. That's exactly the point. See, Jared Goff was doing so well because he had that relief valve. Every Go back to those games. Every first down, he's a boom, girl. Boom, girl. Boom. And then he'll hit Cooper Cup. And that was another loss he got when he lost Cooper Cup. That was another big because him and Cooper Cup had great chemistry. But Gurley had a lot to do with his success. And a lot of, you know, you go, you even look at a guy like Mitchell Trubisky. Mitchell Trubisky uh, with Tariq Cohen and uh, Jordan Howard, they do a lot for him, uh, helping him execute that offense. So I think Sam Darnold would be well served with a guy like Le'Veon Bell. Le'Veon Bell is a Jet fan at heart, so he bleeds green like us. Um, would love to have him on the Ain't Easy Being Green podcast if he becomes a Jet, but we'll see if we can work that type of magic. Wookie, you're on it. Yeah, you know, we'll reach out to his people. Uh, yeah, we'll get on it, and we'll have Wookie get the people on the interns. Mike handed over the duties. You're in charge of the interns lately. Have they been showing you the proper respect that you they've, deserve? Uh, they've been they've been nothing short of phenomenal. Um, <laughs> oh, well, they're, good. They're, they're really ready to go when they show up for work. They know what we want. Yeah. And we're hoping... That we can. I don't know why I'm doing the Barack Obama. Yeah, no one can see your hand. Yeah, no one can see. It. I don't know why I'm doing that hand gesture because no one can see it. But we're hoping to try to branch out and get uh, some of your favorite Jet players or staff. We're, we're trying to get big here. We're trying to do big things for you guys out there in Jet. Now I heard you earlier, Mike. If you don't mind me just sidetracking, you were yelling at one of the interns earlier because they told you their favorite announcer was Walt Clyde Frazier. And you told him, can you repeat what you said to him? I told him he's, he's, he can get off this property right now because... What is your problem with Walt Clyde? What? Why didn't you stuff. like Walt Clyde? Yeah, look, this, is, this is a real thing. This actually happened. Look, look. Walt Clyde, I'm sorry. Like, get it. You were a Nick. You won, you won one of the last Knicks to win a championship. Guess what, Walt? Now I'm watching Knicks. Guess what I get to hear? When you're commentating the Nick game, Walt Clyde Frazier, and you're coming up with things like... Wow. He's dishing and swishing. <laughs> He's hooping and hooping. Why don't you like it, though? I don't know why. I, I what is your problem? This is something about it. Like, it, I don't know. I can't put my finger on it. I can't put my finger on it. If I ever do pinpoint it, I will let everybody know on the eight. Like, for some reason to me, Clyde and, like, Joe Namath and those, like, era of dudes, they have a way of talking that's, like, my favorite thing. Me, too. I don't know what it is. Like, the way they talk... I'm know. like, oh man, this guy's like everything they say to me. It's convincing. And obviously, I know you don't like it. Listen yeah. now, but you say this, and at the same time, you have an announcer for your Yankees on the radio named John Sterling. Oh God, potentially the worst announcer in the history of American. I can't say John. Now listen, John. To radio Yankee he's he's the worst announcer in the history of American broadcast. Terrible of all time. Terrible. You want to talk about a hokey jabroni? Hutzals. Oh, thank you, Susan. That's a text shot from Texera. Oh. And speaking of back in the day and Joe Namath and Walt Clyde Frazier, next week we have Bob Letter coming on the show. He wrote a book called Beyond Broadway Joe, the Super Bowl team that changed football. And Matt Snell wrote a forward in there. Jerry Philbin wrote a forward in there. Tremendous book. I've read it. Talk about it. We're going to break it down with him. The actual author himself going to be on here to talk about Broadway Joe. You're going to get into some of his history, some of the other books that he wrote. Mike, that'll be a blast. You know, and you know what that is, guys? Speaking of books, that's another one of the books. For us this week, uh, I see what you did ain't easy, ain't easy being green podcast. Get another one out of the park. I want to thank all of our wonderful listeners for listening to us, as always, supporting us, getting at us on social media, all those wonderful things. And if they want to do that, Mike, if anyone wants to talk to you, me, the stinking Wookie, any of the interns or anything of that nature, where could they do that? Well, everybody knows we're on the Elite Sports Radio Network. You can find us on SoundCloud, iTunes, iHeartRadio, and Spreaker.com. Please follow us at Facebook. 
at aebg.jetsradio, on Twitter at aebg underscore nyj podcast, and on Instagram at jet.aebg. You heard the man on behalf of my colleague Michael Agaris and the majestic beast Nicholas Cronk. My name is Keith Farrell, AEBG, signing off for this week, everybody. Peace out. Are you ready? The New York Jets will beat anybody in the world, and I think we're going to win next Sunday. The New York Jets. I think Jeff fans. Jeff fans. Bird, ready, bird. Very passionate. Bird, ready, bird. Thank you, all you fans. They got their guy. Darnold falling to the Jets. Sam Darnold. Sam Darnold. That's such an upside. I think Jeff fans. Very passionate. Brady sucks. Don't be the sucks. I want a number leaver.